You're listening to American Society of the University of Haifa's monthly podcast with our CEO and host, Karen Berman, as she takes you through the latest trends in higher education. Hello, this is Jacob Camerus with J-Cube Communications, and I'm here today with Karen Berman, a CEO of the American Society of the University of Haifa. Welcome, Karen. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here, Jacob. Terrific. Thanks. So um, we'll be speaking today about a very uh, hot button topic in America and around the world, uh, especially on college campuses and definitely in other arenas. And that is free speech. Um, You know, free speech is something obviously a constitutional issue. Um, It's in the news all the time and um, especially in an academic setting because, you know, people attend a university and, you know, they expect it to be a learning environment of open dialogue, you know, a free exchange of ideas. And, you know, I, I think what we'll, what we'll discuss today is sometimes free, our freedoms do have limits or, you know, there are parties that uh, would like, uh, would prefer some freedoms to have limits. And um, yeah, so we'll, we'll be discussing that today. So Karen, I'm curious uh, from your perspective as someone who, works with you know a university um what you've come across and uh, on this issue on the free speech issue whether it be in your discourse with colleagues um you know students professors administrators uh what's your view of the free speech issue and sort of the tension surrounding it right um look this is certainly a as you said a hot topic in um in the united states and a very uh, serious topic also in, in Israel, where uh, University of Haifa is located. Um, as coming from an academic environment in a university, we are huge proponents of free speech. And um, you can't have academic inquiry, uh, effective research, or development of any kind if people don't feel that they have the freedom to pursue uh, different channels or investigate things that might um, be, I don't know, offensive or unpopular. Um, At the same time, like with anything else, you know, my freedoms have to be curtailed when they start infringing on other people. And I think that that's, you know, where things start getting um, tricky today. I I don't, you know, I'm not using the term gray on purpose because I'm not sure it actually is gray, but you know, it's the difference between when is it free speech and and when is it um, hate speech, you know, and what is the difference between uh, invoking academic freedom uh, in a way that you're really trying to control someone else's. And I think that's what's that is, you know, sort of the debate that people are are engaging in today in in some places a little bit more um, aggressively than in others. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So uh, when we talk about those limits and particularly when freedom of speech infringes on someone else's freedom, you know, when you when your desire for freedom of speech uh, kind of violates someone else's rights, I think that's an that's an interesting point you make. And I think we're reading a lot about that in the news as it pertains to Israel, Um, Israel, both both as it pertains to Israel and as it pertains to anti-Semitism and um, just a recent example that comes to mind um, was something that happened at the University of Michigan late last year. Uh, there was actually a professor 
during a required lecture for art students who during a presentation in class um, displayed a slide of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israel prime minister and Hitler. Um, and, you know, he, the slide had the word guilty of genocide written across their face, faces. And obviously for that instructor, the, the implication is, is clear. So I'm wondering your, your, your thoughts on that. Obviously it's, it's um, some, some jarring imagery. And again, the question is, where do we draw the line on free speech in that type of situation? Um, yeah. Uh, so that, um, you know, I think that uh, the, the challenge in that situation is, uh, you know, clearly, I mean, what he's doing is equating, you know, Netanyahu uh what's going on with um, the Palestinian occupation side, right, which is not something I support or believe in. And, uh, you know, where, where does the line of the professor, you know, where is it drawn? And um, so in my mind, uh, that's not okay, right? Because, um, you know, we can go into the definition of genocide, but it's, you know, persecuting and killing a race, uh, because, you know, of who they are. And, and actually, I'm sure there's a much better definition that our Holocaust Studies Department has. So now I'm embarrassing myself. Um, and this is, in my mind, clearly not what's going on in the, um, in, in uh, the, the territories, in, uh, in the occupied territories. Um, you know, and as I'm saying that, I'm thinking to myself, well, wow, here's a crazy situation. Like, there are people um, who are, probably putting up similar photos with our current president, you know, with like what's going on with the refugees and things like that. But they're not, you know, professors that I'm perhaps paying a huge amount of money to, or they're not in this case at a public university in the government. So I think it's, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things. And, and then there's a difference between displaying a slide um, and saying to the students, what do you think about this and how do we react to it versus uh, here is my opinion and I'm going to be testing you on it, right? Um, so yeah. like a slide, I, I think it's really, um, it's inaccurate. And, and then I can sit here and debate what is art and what isn't art and, and I'm not going to win that debate anyway, right? But to me, that is a step along the slippery slope, but a very different step than, you know, the Michigan professor who refused to um, write the recommendation for the student who wanted to study abroad in Israel, right? Like, to me, that's a very clear-cut situation. So, um, right. but yes, I mean, throughout our history, I'm sure we can point to many, many examples of uh, racism and hate speech that were masked as art. And it's not it's just, it's not okay. And, uh, you know, and I think what universities are struggling with today is, is also, um, there is a level of, of, uh, I don't know, expected curation, right, around, you know, mm. trigger, trigger speech and things like that, that's also encroaching on the academic environment. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy at all. Um, but, mm -hmm. but you, but I, I just, I just think that in today's society, 
there are certain things that aren't done. And, and we know that, you know, you, you, you yeah. don't, right. It's just like, and, and so comparing, you know, an Israeli prime minister to a Nazi, like people know exactly what they're doing when they do that. You know, it's like, yeah. there are certain things people just would never say about the Pope, right. Or there's certain, you know, words that we know we don't use about, you know, African-Americans, like, or if you do, it's a very deliberate thing that you're doing. Um, yeah. And, and you need to understand what the repercussions of that are going to be and be prepared to, uh, to wrestle with them. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I think it's actually particularly interesting when you mentioned the, the definition of genocide. You know, there's often a, I think we'll get into this later as well, there, there's often a, a slippery slope between the kind of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And if we're talking about the letter of the law or not even the law necessarily, but standards that, uh, that we've implemented in this country, uh, we could talk about other definitions, particularly actually what I'm interested in is the definition of anti-Semitism. I think the you know, definition of genocide is important and probably a topic for another day. But actually, the State Department in the U.S. has you know, adopted a definition of anti-Semitism since 2010 that's based on the three Ds. And, you know, they call it the three D test. And those three Ds are the delegitimization of Israel, the demonization of Israel and subjecting Israel to double standards. And so these scenarios, you know, a, a different different D's among the three D's play out in different scenarios. And obviously when, when we're speaking about the, the lecturer who uh, compared Netanyahu to Hitler, I think we're talking about that demonization. Um, you know, to me, that's clear, but um, you know, in other instances on campus, I think we're often speaking about these double standards, uh, the application of double standards to Israel. And for, for me, it brings up what, you know, recently transpired uh, between Pitzer college uh, and the University of Haifa, right? Uh, you know, the, the two schools have these have a study abroad exchange, and uh, in Pittsburgh, which is which is based in uh, Southern California, so their faculty voted to suspend the school's uh, study abroad study abroad exchange uh, with the University of Haifa. So, obviously, it's an issue that uh, you've dealt with uh, in your position, and I, I'm curious uh, first, um, you know, how it your thoughts on how it relates to this discussion of double standards to Israel and anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, and also just anything you've you know experienced uh, to date on that issue, which, as I'm aware, that you know the issue is still unfolding, right? Kind of as we speak. So, so yeah, as you mentioned, we we the the Pitzer College has been sort of an ongoing saga here. But I, I mean, one thing I want to mm. just sort of briefly touch on the definition of you know genocide and anti-Semitism, and it's something mm. I say to my kids all the time. Like, I'm not a lawyer, but when we're looking up the definition and say like, does this fit in fit in or not? we've kind of lost the argument, right? You know, again, yeah. as, as people in a society, we shouldn't have to say, well, it doesn't really fit into the definition. So I wasn't being anti-Semitic. You know, I think when, mm. you, when you get there, right. it's, it's kind of like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you, you've answered the question. But anyway, mm. back to the Pitzer College. Yeah, yeah, this was sort of a crazy um, situation. Uh, which it was actually one faculty member who put this resolution in front of um, the faculty Senate, uh, which was to end the program. And uh, as it turns out, this faculty member um, 
is not only Jewish, but I believe Israeli, although I'm not 100% sure. Uh, mm. You know, and uh, so for whatever reason, and, and there's a series of votes, uh, the Senate, and then there's like a joint student faculty committee that still, I believe, has to vote on it. Um, but as you said, I'm not 100% sure where it's still going, although we've been um, very uh, encouraged by the support of um, the student senate and the college president. Uh, and it is, I think it's a complete, you know, double standard. Um, first of all, uh, you know, this, con this conversation around, uh, you know, human rights and stuff in, in Israel, it, it, I find it fascinating because of any country in the Middle East, you know, it's the only place where minorities you know, kind of have rights, you know, there, I mean, Israel is so, you, you, I mean, it's a really, to, to go into, you know, Egypt, you, you don't want to be a Christian in Egypt, and you certainly don't want to be homosexual in any um, Arab country or the Palestinian territories, um, or a woman or anything, you know, so, so that's not even a question, but, but then to say if it were, and again, it's not, to apply this standard to Israel versus, you know, China or other countries that vagrantly um, oppress, you know, workers and people, it's, you know, it's just very hard to, um, it, it's very hard to look at this as anything but um, a real, you know, an attack against Jews, which is why, you know, I think, uh, BDS efforts and anti-Zionism are what I think correctly equated with uh, anti-Semitism. And even in the case of uh, the specific Pitzer um, example, we did reach out, our, our president reached out to this professor and said, you know, what is this really about? And, and, and this person spoke specifically about, you know, how uh, they feel um, Arabs are treated and, uh, and we said, please come to our campus where, uh, you know, 35% of our students are, are religious minorities and, and come look at, you know, the opportunities and how, how they're well integrated they are into our society. And in fact, throughout the north of Israel. And, and the answer was kind of like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. Like, I'm not really interested, <laughs> you know. So it was just, it kind of became one of these narratives that you don't even know how to you don't even know how to respond to um, in that particular case, but it is hard because, you know, there's, there's, a, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of little pits or, or not little, uh, there's a lot of little things happening. And, and sometimes we feel like we're playing whack-a-mole, uh, not just we, University of Haifa, but many, uh, either the other, my peers at other universities or other organizations who try to, engage in this and um and other times you feel like you know at any individual university or any individual organization it's one or two people and then when you take a step back uh people will look and say look what's going on in uh, israeli society as a whole and look how far um, the society has moved in terms of its diversity in terms of its uh, integration and and look you know what the society is contributing to the world and so it's hard to say how much of this is is noise and how much of this is um, is reality. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I think the anti-Semitism and hate speech is very real. 
uh, I just, I'm just not sure what to do about it. Right. I think that's an important point um, about the you know, perception versus reality on, on, on BDS, particularly the uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions movement against Israel. I, I, you know, we, we always read about student led resolutions um, encouraging their universities to uh, divest from Israel. Of course, those are non-binding measures. Whatever a student government body puts out is doesn't necessarily have any practical implications for the university. But again, you know, does the student government actually speak for the entire student body on these issues pertaining to the Middle East? I mean, you know, the, yes, their fellow students did elect the elect their peers, you know, to represent them. But again, it's a small right. number of students trying to speak on behalf of the entire student body on a narrow issue. Uh, so, so, so again, yeah, we, we can't say for sure. You know, there's not uh, public opinion polling done at each and every university on what uh, the student body thinks about the Middle East. And I think it's also important to note, again, at, at Pitzer, um, you know, the university president himself um, also, you know, opposes right. opposes the faculty vote. Um, so, so again, I think as we've discussed, we're we're uncertain how this how this plays out in the long run for the university. I, so. I think you know the student body is um is obviously troubling and and you know what young people today are learning about you know israel and hate speech and anti-semitism and the statistics that show how few people even know what the holocaust is all of these things are very um all of these things are are very upsetting you know on the college campuses i think what a lot of people in the certainly in the academic world discuss is you know the opinions among the faculty because those are really um, the influencers, and it's the concern about, you know, what everyone uses the buzzword intersectionality, where you see, mm. um, you know, left-wing, traditionally left-wing or liberal issues um, being tangled up in, you know, with something else. But, you know, it's very interesting. Um, our our president, University of Hypo's president, Ron Robin, uh, has spoken at length about this issue, although this is kind of the last of all the things we really want to be focused on, you know, mm. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. you know, building a great, uh, building and expanding a great university. Um, but we were at uh, a conference for Israel educators uh, that he keynoted at Berkeley uh, last spring. And, you know, he made a very interesting comment, which says, you know, certainly great universities are about academic freedom and free speech. Um, mm. And, and, you know, we are very proud at University of Haifa uh, that uh, while we have a very high uh, percentage of students who are religious minorities, that's how, you know, minorities are kind of measured in Israel. Um, and, and sometimes we have a reputation of being left of center. We actually represent the entire range of kind of political spectrum in Israel, you know, and, and we're very proud of that. And that diversity of thought is incredibly important, you know, and, and we were originally a humanities-based um, university. But all that said, you know, universities do, by their very nature, sort of limit speech, right? Um, and the academic yeah. world does, because not everything gets published, or not every mm. professor gets tenured, or, you know, so, you can't, uh, and it's not necessarily always a political choice, right? It definitely isn't, yeah. you know, because, I mean, a lot of our people are scientists or things like that, right? 
um, you know, we have a center for evolution in Israel, but there are some universities that wouldn't have that either in Israel or the other parts of the world, right? Um, so yeah. it, it's a very weird, it's just a very weird juxtaposition. You know, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't say that a university doesn't limit um, speech because we have an obligation to the people who are on our campus um, to one, keep them safe, and also to make sure that a diversity of opinions are always represented. So you have to do, you have to do both, right? So in some mm. ways, by not limiting speech, you're still censoring it, right? Right? Mm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like not censoring yeah. is in some way censoring, right? It's, you know, yeah. right? By saying we're gonna let everybody talk, you are still promoting an opinion, um, right. you know? And, and we actually do that, but there's rules about how we let everyone talk. Um, yeah, so. You know, that's interesting. I, I think it, it's true. We all face choices. And, you know, whether we think we're limiting speech or not, uh, no matter our position, where the kind of the content or the kind of the speech that we're putting out every day, uh, we all have a filter. And whatever choices we make verbally or in writing or in any other form, well, those choices have consequences, you know. Um, I could think of that, you know, in my former career as a, as a journalist, I was always getting information, you know, I'm doing an interview with anybody and, you know, I have like a 20 or 30 minute transcript. And of course I'm choosing five to 10% of that interview to show up in the eventual right. story. And people are, again, I'm again, in that scenario purporting to be an objective fact-based unbiased reporter in that instance but again i'm, I'm only using right a 10 percent of the conversation that i uh that i documented so again and, and reporters that, and and then their editors again again there's the reporter who's filing a story right. um you know making choices choosing an angle um which is a form of bias in itself and it's a choice and then another level is is the reporter's editor who's writing a new headline on the story cutting the story further and it go, you know, this, this content and this, this form of speech goes through so many iterations that who knows what's what, who knows what's reality at the, right. at the end. Absolutely. Of the day, so. I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting. I, one of the, I was at, you know, my son who's still in high school, uh, I was at his open school night, whatever. And, and this history uh, teacher said something very interesting and it applies the same on a university level, but in a broader context, she was saying it's very interesting to be, a history teacher right now and and they're doing sort of like you know uh, american history up to the modern era and just picking a history book is a very mm -hmm. deliberate process you know what yeah what is in the history book or what uh when you have um you know particularly in high school or an entry level an early class in college and you teach a class that's called great american authors you know, who you pick mm. to represent the society, you know, says something. Um, and so, yeah. you know, when you talk about what a university says, you know, it, it's, it's common now that universities all have, you know, a woman's studies or a gender studies now department. But, you know, think back and I'm probably much older than you, you know, that that was rather unusual when I went to college or it was, you know, and now, you know, half the you know, I'm sure most top universities have something similar. Um, and, and so I think, you know, again, there is some sort of 
I'm going to call it curation of knowledge and speech that naturally happens, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just has to be taken into context. And what the, you know, the challenge that we have with the issue that we're talking about is the line gets very uh, distorted when it's when, you know, when my rights are infringing on yours. And what you're seeing in the U.S. right now is students who rightly so feel physically unsafe. Like it's, it's, it's beyond I'm in a classroom and a professor put something up there that makes me uncomfortable because that we can debate. And that happens not just in our class about, uh, about Netanyahu, it's happening in classes where they're discussing harassment and sexual assault. It's happening in a lot of places. And again, I'm not saying it's the right thing, but, but now it's going beyond that. And it's, and, it, and, and students are feeling physically unsafe, you know, that, that they're being followed home from uh, meetings or they're getting, you know, emails and Facebook postings. And, and, and you, this just is not acceptable. Like, I, I just don't even right. know how, how else to say it. Like, it's, this should not be acceptable at all um, for any student in, you know, from any background, uh, that you should be pursuing your higher education and be worried that you are unsafe because of the issues you choose to pursue. And that, that we would even tolerate that or that any university who is uh, charged with um, not just molding and educating the next generation, but actually taking care of them is, you can't, you can't uh, that, that should be unacceptable. So I know that's kind of hard line. I'm not really that hard, well, but you know. Yeah, throw one in there now and then. For sure, for sure. Well, well, you know, I, I think at that point it's interesting <laughs> when we get into different kinds of speech to look at what the Supreme Court in the U.S. actually says about this issue. And again, whether we like it or not, um, you know, the, the Supreme Court actually protects hate speech. Uh, the First Amendment protects hate speech. But uh, you mentioned safety and, you know, types of speech that aren't protected. It, it includes those include things like obscenity, fighting words, defamation, perjury, incitement, right. threats, solicitations to commit crimes. So again, when we're talking about student safety, right? Uh, it, you know, we can talk about incitement. Then incitement to right. incitement is not protected. Right. Uh, you that, can. That's not protected. You speech. can. You can so. march back and forth in front of that synagogue in Charlottesville with your guns, but you can't ask other people to come there and point the guns at them. Mm. That's right. the right line to draw, right? I don't, no, I mean, I don't know, right? Right, I mean, yeah, and there, there are other interesting gray areas, you know. I think of even uh fake news, and um, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes, he was on the Supreme Court, and he said you can't chat fire in a crowded theater, right? So, you know, when somebody's publishing fake news, they're actually trying and they're putting out false information and trying to create panic in society, and, and they're trying to make us often think that, you know, the problems that we have are worse than they are. They're, they're trying to create some other alternative reality, which to, to me, again, I'm not an attorney. I can't really rule on this, but, you know, they're trying to shout fire in a crowded theater and trying to create some sort of panic and alternative reality. So it's a different issue than safety, uh, but to me, it's also a form of incitement, possibly. Well, we can have a whole other conversation on fake news, because we've yes, we we got do. a lot of that going on. Um, now and, and it's something that we also spend a lot of time uh, we have a lot of uh, faculty a lot of professors and a lot of research on it because it's certainly um, it's certainly a, a, a hot topic now but um, 
ironically, again, my other child, I have two, they, they're, they do everything. They, they fit into every conversation, but he's reading the crucible and we were kind of going through, you know, talking about fear and hysteria. So, but we were going through that and, and, um, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, the McCarthy trials and getting people to lie to throw the blame on someone else. And um, unfortunately, it's it's not new. Maybe it's worse than ever for all sorts of reasons, technology being one of them. But um, yeah, what you know, what's and how do we police that and, and how do we learn to curate that and teach people to make better decisions? I, I don't know. Right. Right. It's a tough one. I can't it's solve that one, one today. No. tomorrow well, i'll fix that problem yeah yeah that's interesting so you know i i, I think you know it's also good to revisit this topic of uh, again you know we, we've spoken about these slippery slopes and what constitutes what some of the legalese uh behind that and you know at the end of the day again we talk about anti-semitism or we talk about boycotts of israel at the end of the day are again are those protected forms of speech well again you know different legal experts who are informed by their own bias on both sides will issue different opinions on that but maybe we shouldn't even be asking that question you know maybe we should be asking about uh, more the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law and again um whether it be a, you know a university we, we talk about the pitzer issue or even the professor at the university of michigan actually two professors at the university of michigan uh, recently um, denied their students uh, recommendation letters uh, to study abroad in Israel, specifically uh, because the students uh, wanted to study in Israel. Uh, so again, that is a that is a form of a you know boycott inspired action uh, by those professors. And again, do they is that protected by their speech? Well, you know, again, they they have the right to their speech, but but on the other hand, they're infringing on right. someone else's rights right. you know these students want to that these students have a free right to study abroad well wherever they like i mean it's, they, they can't exactly study abroad in cuba or somewhere where the u.s has you know limited relations but you know or that maybe cuba is not the best example maybe north korea you know there, there won't be a study abroad program to north korea but on the other hand any country where they can legally travel and step foot well they have the right to their speech and to their their choices and it's interesting, I think, to note that the professors in that situation, while trying to exercise their own speech, are, are limiting someone else's freedom. Right. And I think yeah. in that case, uh, exactly. To me, there's a huge difference between the the very offensive uh, photograph put up in an art class, although I'd also be interested in what the commentary around that was, and a professor saying, I'm imposing my own belief um, on yours. I mean, imagine if a professor said, I'm sorry, you can't do an extra semester at uh, at University of Alabama because I don't believe someone should study at, uh, you know, one of the Southern universities or or even worse, Howard University, because I don't support, you know, the traditional black colleges like that's completely unacceptable. Right. So um, we would never do that and and exactly like to say because it's israel i don't support you i mean it it shouldn't even be a question and 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 michigan um you know reacted what i you know uh i don't know i don't think appropriately is the right i don't know i don't want to probably they reacted to it in a way that 
you know, conveyed that they also did not think that was the right thing. So, um, you know, the, the whole issue is, is applying a double standard. It's interpreting, um, you know, sort of rules about commercial transactions and things like that, that are not, you know, in keeping with what, you know, regulations and laws have been um, determined. So, but again, it goes back to, you know, what's the spirit of it? And, and yeah. you know, when you're waiving sort of free speech or things like that, I just, I think it's very hard to, to prove, you know, that people are doing this merely because they're supporting their constitutional rights. And so. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important to also, also kind of understand what, what values are, what values are most important to these students and you know Gallup put out a survey last year that said actually 53% of students prioritize diversity and inclusion and 46% of students prioritize free speech I, I think those results would be surprising to a lot of people again we frame this conversation as yeah like college environment higher education is is kind of that marketplace for free speech free exchange of ideas but it, it's possible at least according to that survey that students really prioritize uh, re- respect and, and diversity and tolerance and all those other values, at least in that survey, seven percent more than they uh, than they prioritize uh, their right to free speech. So practically, what what should we be what should we be prioritizing? You know, on the ground on, on campus. I think it's again we won't necessarily answer that today, but that's I think something to keep in mind. Um, yeah, and so. Again, you know, we aren't Supreme Court justices here, and um, you know, we won't make kind of a, a ruling on that today. But I, I think what you know, what's interesting is that you know, there, there's the law. You know, the letter of the law is always kind of up to up for interpretation. You know, what's free speech, what's not free speech. I think I think we can leave that to the courts, and um, on a practical level, really, the best we can do you know, within our own power is to pay attention to the spirit of the law and so what do we think about boycotts what do we think about double standards uh, that are applied to any country and what do we think about hate and discrimination as they apply to the spirit of the law and you won't get many people out there who are like yeah i think hate and discrimination like let's sure i support that right like let's let's say those are legal i mean it's not you know it's not something that i think um that we're comfortable with and you know so can our policies be informed by kind of common sense and and the spirit of the law rather than, yeah, this boycott should be protected because the Supreme Court says so. I, I think it's just, we can probably speak about this for, for several weeks. You know, <laughs> obviously, you know, it, it's just, um, it's just, uh, there are those gray areas we mentioned, but at the end of the day, what are our values and um, what are our choices? Yeah, and we're always making those choices. Exactly. So, exactly. So I think what yeah. we have to do is teach people to make the right decisions, give them all the information that's out there. Um, and knowing that, you know, in, in most cases, we actually do have the law that backs us up. But, you know, we also kind of have truth and right on our side. So we'll just keep hoping that uh, that carries us forward. And we'll have to dig into some of the other issues at another time. Great. Great. Well, Karen, I think that was very interesting conversation. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you. And, uh, 
And until next time. Excellent. Thank you so much. Nice to speak with you. Likewise. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And please don't forget to subscribe to Higher Ed Talk. Do also leave any comments you might have and Karen will address them on our next episode.